Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Delapena, and on today's show, we have one of the 14 volunteer women's coordinators for USA Cricket, Emily Reynolds, based out of Southern California. She's got an interesting backstory, having grown up between Pennsylvania and Arizona, and discovered cricket only in the last 18 months but she's caught the cricket bug she's hardcore into her cricket a big fan of the australian teams in particular which is where she discovered her cricket she'll tell that story in great detail first i want to thank our patreon subscribers and we've got another one who's jumped on board another patriot nate hayes who had a hand to play in coordinating today's interview with emily reynolds nate got into contact with her initially for a story he was working on for emerging cricket nate put me into contact with emily so i appreciate that nate and nate has done fantastic work for emerging cricket since coming on board with them and nate for those of you who don't know also helped design and finish the completion of the cover jacket for my book inside the selection room a quest for t20 cricket stardom and he's got some outstanding design and photoshop skills he puts to use on a regular basis for a variety of things whether it's designing cricket jerseys or cricket book covers in my case and it's great to have nate on board as a patreon patron a patriot and I encourage everybody else out there who listens to the podcast to show your support as well by signing up on Patreon. There's several different membership levels you can subscribe to to offer varying levels of support that helps to keep the podcast going. And I appreciate everybody else who has jumped on board thus far as well. I also want to thank our sponsors for the podcast, Dream Cricket, as well as Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713 534 That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. And now, here is today's guest, Emily Reynolds. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. You've had kind of an interesting introduction into cricket. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. It was on a trip to Australia. But first, brief background about yourself. I know you were born in Pennsylvania, but you spend a significant time growing up in Arizona and now you're based in Southern California. So what can you tell us about yourself? Born, yeah, Pennsylvania, raised in Arizona. Um, About six years ago, I decided to move to Orange County um, and it's been the best decision I've ever made. I have a dog, Malcolm, who you heard and will probably hear again, who is uh, what I call my husband slash child. He's very spoiled. And yeah, just kind of living out my days, working and walking and playing cricket. Now, your introduction to cricket was partially through your brother. Your brother is a professional baseball player. For people who don't know, Mike Reynolds, Mikey Reynolds is how he's listed on Baseball Reference. He played at Texas A&M, started off at St. Mary's in Moraga, California, but then transferred, went to JUCO for a year and then finished up at Texas A&M, was drafted in the fifth round by the Atlanta Braves is currently in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. He took a bit of a hiatus from the Major League Baseball minor league system and spent some time playing in the Australian Baseball League. And that's kind of how you got your introduction to cricket. You were going to visit him. He played for the Adelaide franchise and also the Canberra franchise. But I think it was while he was playing for the Adelaide franchise, he spent two seasons there. That's how you discovered cricket. Take us into that story. So... I'm not going to give my brother this credit because it was actually me. (laughs) 
he gets enough credit. He's been the most popular child for most of our lives. So I'm going to take this one. But yeah, we were doing a family vacation to see him in Australia. I decided to go um, a week early and spend some time in Sydney by myself. And I saw that there was the Australia versus New Zealand test match happening um, on like the 4th of January. So I decided to go to day one. Had no idea what was going on, but kept watching on TV the rest of the days and quickly became obsessed. However, then once I got to Adelaide, my brother introduced me to the Big Bash League, which I had no idea existed. Told me it was like kind of a more baseball time length format of cricket and that, you know, the point is to get the highest score quicker than a test match or anything like that. So we went to the Strikers game. I think it was Strikers versus Sixers. And I definitely then came home and immediately subscribed to Willow and watched the rest of the BBL. <laughs> so a lot to unpack there. So I want, I want to go back to the New Year's test. This was in January 2020. Yes. For time sequencing purposes. This was, you, you already said it was the Australian New Zealand test. This is the test for the hardcore cricket diehards out there. Marnus Slabiscogne or Labashane, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. He scored a double century in the first innings, 215. And Australia wound up winning the match quite heavily, 279 runs. But it was Marnus's test match is what it's most remembered for. Now, what I found fascinating over the years is that a lot of people are convinced that Americans don't have time for test cricket. It's too long. It's too boring. It's just not suited to the American temperament. If there is such a thing as an American temperament, there's a lot mm -hmm. of excuses. I, I first discovered cricket through test cricket in my travels abroad. I spent a semester in Sydney in 2005, and it was during the England-Australia series there. And I, I fell in love with test cricket because it was so different. There's nothing like it in American sports. It's very unique. It's got a unique selling point. And I find it fascinating that you were first drawn in to wanting to attend a test match in person, not a 2020 match of all the cricket that was available in and around where you were first in Australia. So I guess what was it that made you want to go see a test match in person? And then after seeing it in person, going to a day's play, not just turning it off and saying, oh, this is this is too much. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But as you said, you came away from the test match for the day's play that you attended. And then instead of going around in Sydney and seeing all there is in Darling Harbor and the Circular Quay and all the other wonderful parts of Sydney, what did you do? You stayed in your hotel room and you kept watching test cricket on the TV. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can't say that I meant to pick test cricket. I think it, I went on like travelaustralia.com or whatever and saw that ev what events were happening. It was like test cricket, you know, this is like the New Year's Eve test or New Year's test. And I was like, that sounds cool. Let's do it. But I think like walking away, well, a, it was a really hot day there. So I was not prepared for that. However, the beers were very cheap. I remember that. And the people were very sweet and welcoming to someone who had no idea what was going on. But I do have to say, um, if you're ever going to go to a sporting event in Australia, it, it tops the American experience. You get like free sunscreen, free water, $5 beers. They're passing out candy. It's great. But yeah, I think just sitting there and kind of being like, what am I watching? Like, what is the point of this? To then spending the next day in my hotel room watching and listening to the commentators and understanding more like how much strategy actually goes into the game and 
you have to make a calculated move in order to stay in the game. And I think that that's what really drew me into cricket is just relating it back to baseball. Like if you hit the ball, you have to run, whereas in cricket, you don't. And I just think that's super exciting and like challenging because you really have to think on your feet at every point in the game. There's a lot of elements to cricket strategically that I find different ways of of relating. And baseball is one. There's a lot of things outside of baseball, though. I mean, just from a very basic point. Growing up as a backyard game, you didn't play full on like baseball. You you would have running bases is what we called it. It was just lobbing the ball back and forth. And by the third time, if the ball wasn't dropped or the ball didn't get away, you had to run. So there was just this element of it was literally just running in a straight line back and forth. And so when I first saw cricket, it, it kind of took me back to my childhood. And I was like, oh, there's an element of running bases to this. Uh, there's strategic elements that you can take out of football, I think. Anybody who's an NFL fan out there just the strategic elements and just the overarching range of possibilities that exist in cricket in a sequence of play and the number of options that are available. I find it very relatable to NFL and the myriad of plays that can be called offensively and defensively. There's just so many things, uh, so many possibilities that can be drawn up. And there's this very, very cerebral element to cricket that makes it very comparable to NFL for me. And, and then tennis. Tennis is another one where, again, you're, you're playing the ball off the ground. And so in, in tennis services, the way the ball reacts, whether it's on a hard court or a clay court right now, the French Open is going on at the time of the recording anyway. And, uh, you know, grass court Wimbledon and growing up playing tennis, you learn to read the wrist position of the players so you can react to the anticipated spin that's coming, whether it's going to be top spin or back spin or, you know, again, the surface, how quick it comes off the surface. So there's, there's just so many things uh, about cricket that are an amalgamation of so many different sports. I mean, besides baseball, what other sports did you find that you were kind of observing things and and relating to them in your initial formative experiences watching cricket in the ground or on TV? I can't say I really related it to any sport that I played. Sorry, I don't know how to turn these notifications off. But I did. I played volleyball pretty um, heavily and I played tennis. So I definitely can see like the, you know, moving your feet, where the ball is dropping, like where to place the ball as well. And then serving is kind of like a similar type thing as bowling potentially. So, you know, getting your hand up, arm up straight. But I can't say that I've taken any of my personal like sporting experience into cricket. I just kind of just went in blind and started taking lessons and went from there. Just on that point, too, I want to ask you about that. Mention your brother and the fact that he's been a professional baseball player. How competitive were you in sports growing up? You mentioned volleyball and tennis. Did you play high school? Were you a varsity athlete? Or what? How extensive was your sports experience? Yeah, so, I mean, we're a really athletic family. So my dad played baseball and basketball, I believe, in college. Um, my mom played tennis, and they were both triathletes when we were younger. So there's you, always something to do. And I definitely played baseball, I, but like not on a team. Never got into softball because then I was like, I've been dragged to enough little league games that I don't want to do this anymore. So I played soccer. I played, um, I did swim. I did flag football until I threw the ball and hit some girl in the nose and felt really bad about it. Um, I, but I did a lot, like 
my parents weren't very um, keen on forcing anything either. So if I got hurt or you know, hitting some girl in the face, like if I didn't want to do it, I didn't have to continue. Um, I wish they would have been a little more, not forceful, but like persistent because I think that I could have like not followed my brother because I'm older than my brother, but done, you know, sports and college and kind of come along that path. And I get super obsessed too. It's like all or nothing. So uh, right now I'm like all cricket all the time. Like I don't want to talk about anything else. Um, and I wish I would have had that earlier. It's one of the things that I experienced when I first discovered cricket. I was 20 years old doing my semester abroad and I felt like I had this rip in the space time continuum back to the future style where it was like, ah, oh, I wish I could go back to like 1985 and discover cricket and how different would my life have been? Because I felt like I missed out on, on 20 years of my life. It was I explained it to some friends in a way that there was this line of demarcation and it was almost as like I was born again or or reborn in the sense that I had my life September 14, 1984 to July 22nd, 2005. And then I kind of like died. And then I was reborn from July 22nd, 2005, where I started learning everything from scratch and was basically going through a fresh baptism, fresh initiation, <laughs> fresh everything into cricket. And there was that first sequence of living that it was 20 years that I couldn't get back. 20 years where I, I thought, oh man, if only I had known cricket from the time yeah. I was born, or if only I had had these experiences where I, and I was just trying to soak up as much as I could warp speed. I was buying books. I, I spent my spring break in uh, New Zealand, in Auckland, and it rained for six out of the seven days I was there. And instead of trying to go outside and find stuff to do in the rain, I basically spent six days inside the bookstores in Auckland in the <laughs> cricket section and just on the chief as a college student, just reading as, as much as I could of, of all the cricket books on the shelves without having to pay for them because I thought there were so many biographies, so many autobiographies, so many other books. I've got 20 years that I've missed out on and, and all the history for 200 years prior to that that I don't know about that I need to absorb and get up to speed so I, I completely understand where you're coming from in that sense in terms yeah. of just getting completely easier because we've got Instagram and YouTube and you know right at your fingertips you're just inundated and I'm like okay well if I've got some downtime I'm gonna watch like a how-to bowling or like tips on bowling 100% and yeah with the technology at your fingertips in 2021 it's easier than at any point in history obviously to learn all this stuff you got YouTube YouTube tutorials and YouTube Wikipedia and whatever else that you can you can get to online. Now, I, I want to go back a bit. You go to the test matches, and then you go to Adelaide. Uh, you go to the test match in Sydney, and then you go to Adelaide, and you see Rashid Khan. Takes a hat trick. Can you explain what you felt in terms of the crowd energy, in terms of the on-field action when you went to the T20 match, and how it was different, both good and bad? There's a lot of stereotypes about test cricket versus T20 cricket. And I just want to find out for you, you know, what were the things you liked and disliked and, and what was more enjoyable, less enjoyable? So I went to the test match by myself. Knew nothing, knew no one. And I think that was probably, it's definitely different from my experience going to the BBL because it was my with my brother, his friends, like some of his coaches. So it was like more of a community. But I just remember like, yeah, just sitting at the test match and it just being so quiet and you're just staring from far away and then people go, oh, and you're just, and I'm just like, what, <laughs> like what just happened? I have no idea. And I'd turn, I'd be like, can you tell me what just happened? 
And they're like, oh, LB, like call for LBW. And I was like, oh, okay, like, cool. Uh, what's an LBW? Um, and then I think for the longest time, I was super confused because I had no idea what an over was. And um, the guy told, he did tell me, he told me there's six balls in an over. And I was like, okay. But then when it says like 0.1, 0.2, point on the scoreboard and I was like, okay, that must go to point 10. So I was like, is it six balls per point one? I was like, that's a lot of balls per I was just so confused. But yeah, I didn't really like grasp what I was witnessing, I think, as much at the test match than when I went to the BBL. You know, the BBL, they have, everyone's just like a little louder. And we were on the field, uh, not the field, but like the grass like area so there was no like seating you just like sat on the grass and it was just really exciting if somebody you know hit a six and it came into the crowd and somebody's trying to catch it or you're ducking or whatever but the hat trick was fun because again didn't know what that was so on the second wicket my brother's coach was saying he's on a hat trick and I'm like can you please explain he's like if you get three wickets in a row it's a hat trick and I'm like okay so it's just like super tense environment and then Rashid Khan, you know, miraculously gets one. He just like opens his arms like he's flying. And I was just like, this is awesome. I think I have so many videos on my phone of just trying to capture the replays or like whatever it was. It was super exciting both places, but BBL, like there's more kids. Um, it's less time. So people might be getting drunker faster. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the two different experiences. One of the things you said was after watching the game in person alone, you went by yourself. The way you talked about it, it sounded like you were really eager to go watch the TV. Mainly, it sounds like, to hear the commentators talking just so you could absorb terminology, learn the language of the game, learn the flow of the game as it would be narrated by a commentator versus the in-person experience with your brother and his friends where you've got somebody side by side helping you to digest these things. What was the most helpful part for you among those things in terms of trying to learn the various elements of cricket in general, regardless of whether it was test cricket or T20 cricket? Definitely just asking questions. Anything that I didn't pick up on, like any word, I would just Google it, like with the word cricket after, Um, because my phone is still, you know, (laughs) USA Google instead of Australian Google. Yeah, I think like just to be able to talk to someone who played the game before, like my brother's baseball coach actually played cricket for a while. So wealth of information and then being able to also just look up a video on what that means or the how many different ways that you can get somebody out and just like trying to like engrave it in my brain um, so that I can save it for later. Of all those resources that are available technologically, is there anything you could pinpoint that was especially helpful, the resources that really helped speed up the education process? And is there anything you could think of that could be done better to recruit new fans who are potentially going through the same experience that you went through, but maybe make it a little bit easier or or more uh, adaptable for them? Yeah, well, honestly, the Willow subscription was a plus until they took away like all of my international games and i was like i don't want to watch the psl so bye um sorry sorry willow i 
literally watched every single game on the docket. Like I'd just be like, okay, what's on like right now? If it was an Australia team, because I'm hardcore obsessed with the Australian women's team now. So I'd like save it for later. You know, if it's at four o'clock in the morning, I'm waking up at four o'clock in the morning to watch it or whatever it is. But honestly, just Instagram, there's like a bunch of different cricket lover type accounts that have a bunch of cool posts every day on different terminology and like how to grow your game and stuff like that. Willow. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was the commentators and it was just going on Instagram, learning the players, go just Googling random terms. I didn't really like read any books or anything like that. But I think for USA Cricket, I just think like an app of some sort with a dictionary or like any local clubs or you know, local players so that you kind of hone a community yourself would really be helpful here in the U.S. because no one knows it. I literally go around in my Cricket Australia hat and people are like, cricket? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, do you play? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And they're like, cool. (laughs) So I think that it's out there. Like people want to know. But yeah, like you said, there's not, it's not quite easy here. So I think that's that's what they're working on, though, which is fun and exciting to be a part of. And that is a good segue, I guess, to the next topic I wanted to ask you about. Now, you've been appointed recently as a USA Women's Cricket Volunteer Coordinator. Women's Cricket, don't need me to tell you, it, it's <laughs> at a very, 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 very embryonic stage in America. It's been that way for 10 years. As somebody who grew up playing a lot of sports in the U.S., like tennis, like volleyball, soccer you mentioned as well where at least in modern time is girls are really really encouraged to get involved in these sports especially soccer i think the data points i have looked at investigated softball traditionally is is seen as a very high participation girls sport women's sport but girls soccer mm-hmm. has really dwarfed it ever since that 1999 women's fifa world cup victory where the usa won in the Rose Bowl, that really helped girls soccer, women's soccer explode in the country over the next two decades. And girls youth soccer is the number one participation sport for girls in America. I think it's over 2 million girls are participating in youth soccer nationally because, and that's just from the ages of, I think, 6 to 12, that's tracked by the Aspen Institute in Colorado that tracks these things for youth sports because there have been so few options and outlets for, for girls over the years. So you have a very high participation sport like girls soccer, where you've got more than 2 million girls playing softball is again well over a million girls basketball well over a million nationwide girls cricket female cricket all all ages female cricket i don't think there's more than 150 females nationwide that are playing the game so what what are the the things that you experienced growing up in terms of recruitment and encouragement for girls sports that you participated in in volleyball soccer tennis that you think would be helpful mechanisms to really encourage girls to get involved in cricket i mean a lot of mine was just like school team sports and i know that there's like a grassroots effort um happening in the bay area right now uh for cricket to be added in elementary schools, which I think is very exciting. So yeah, mine was a lot of just like school team sports, something to do after school or friends being like, hey, do you want to join the tennis team? And I'm like, I don't know how to play tennis, but like, let's go. I had a friend who was a gymnast who I was like, you're freaking cool. Like, I want to do this too. Um, So I think that's really why they're bringing on these women coordinators to help grow it just 
kind of grassroots naturally like word of mouth um, for right now. I have to say that I am the number one champion on that. Like sign me up for all the elementary schools and I can go in there um, and talk to these girls and um, get them excited about it. Word of mouth for me, it was, it was literally like jump on the bandwagon as a kid, like with your friends or something that like you were passionate about and then I was good at. And then I was like, well, I don't really like this anymore. But that kind of happens too. Like you said, with soccer, like there are a lot of girls playing. However, it, it dwindles quite a bit because there's not a lot of like professional outlets for that. So I think that just worldwide is going to be a thing for women's sport. But Australia, England, doing some really great things for cricket to have them play professionally and get paid for it. So we'll get there. Before we continue, I just want to remind everybody that the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast is sponsored by Moose the Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket facility in the state of Texas, located at 5515 McKeever Road in Pearland, five miles off the Bailey Road exit from State Route 288, a half hour south of downtown Houston. Moose the Cricket Stadium includes fully enclosed locker rooms, plus shower facilities after a day's play, as well as outdoor nets for all your training needs. Aside from the main turf stadium ground, there is now a second ground at the facility open for use. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Moosa Cricket Stadium in Parallel, Texas, the first and original turf wicket facility in Texas. One thing you touched on there in the last answer you gave, Emily, is something I think that's quite often overlooked and it's a very crucial factor, just the, again, the social element of participation. A lot of youth sports, it was like this for me, it was like this for you, you just said it, highlighted it in a very significant way. At that age, at a youth sports age, a lot of kids, why do they play? Why why did I play street hockey in my neighborhood? Because it was what all the other neighborhood kids were playing. Yeah. And you're playing what the other kids are doing, you're playing what your other friends are doing. I might not have necessarily liked tennis as much as ice hockey or street hockey, but in the summertime, if all my friends who played street hockey had their parents sign them up to play tennis, well, I wasn't just going to sit at home and do nothing. I wanted to be where my friends were, so I played tennis. And if my friends were going to go play basketball or or baseball, well, then I was going to go play basketball or baseball with them. And Mm -hmm. to me, that is such a, a huge obstacle that cricket has faced in this country because I, I've heard stories anecdotally from parents and, and players themselves who said, I played cricket from the age of 10 until 15 or 16, but then I got to high school and all my friends were playing sports that were the high school varsity sports. And, you know, they were playing football, they were playing lacrosse, basketball, they were playing baseball. And there was, I was socially ostracized because I was the only kid playing cricket. It was more a matter of fact case of, well, my friends, don't play cricket, not because they hate it, but just because they don't know about it and it's not available to them. And if I want to maintain my social contacts with my friend and peer group and my social network in the traditional sense, on the uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, Twitter sense, but just <laughs> my, my social friends, if I, want to, if I want to hang out with people and have something to talk about, I got to join one of these teams. And and one of these teams is not a cricket team. And that's that's what holds people back. What do you think, aside from the overarching goal uh, yeah, getting cricket into schools and getting cricket in more established in terms of interscholastic program. What, if anything, do you think can be done to encourage more social spread of cricket in communities? I'm gonna like back up like a slight bit before I answer that question, but I don't know how many people know this, but I'm in my 30s, so older. Um, I don't have a lot of influence on like my friends playing right now. However, 
all of my friends have been super like excited for me to play and have been like, if you're ever in a match, let's go down to San Diego. We'll get like an Airbnb and we'll watch you play. And I'm like, okay, you're going to be really bored, but like how sweet. I talk to my neighbors and or just friends that I haven't seen in a while. And, you know, the topic comes up of what have you been doing? And then they're like, can you tell me a little bit about cricket? And then we talk for like 30 plus minutes on like different rules. So even at my age, there are opportunities for adults to get included and learn about cricket. I was actually just talking to a coworker who is Australian and she was like, I've played cricket, but it's really like beach cricket and I've got a beer in my hands. And I was like, perfect. We live in Newport Beach. Let's start this. <laughs> like if we need to start, you know, a beach game to get people excited about it, let's go. During my interview for USA Cricket, and I hope I can say this, but um, they did ask me kind of the same question on like, what would you do? And I was like, any of the parks around here that aren't really utilized during the weekend, like pop up some big screen, put on a game, have some popcorn, send out flyers, try to get families there. And like, honestly, especially for little girls. And I mean, even just for me, I see these incredible women throwing their bodies around to get a ball, catch a ball barehanded. And I'm just like amazed at how amazing they are. I think that if girls could see like cricket is actually a really tough and challenging sport. And also there's a lot of international avenues for them to go down, travel and everything. I think that the cream of the crop right there, we could get a lot of converts from softball for sure. (laughs) For me, it's like all community right now, throwing events, going to schools, just talking about it. And eventually like I've only been playing since October. I have two coaches, but I hope one day to like, you know, have a camp or some sort of weekend thing that kids can show up and learn and have fun at the same time. A couple of things to unpack there, but <laughs> you, you mentioned beer, popcorn. There are so many things about enjoying cricket as a spectator that, again, I don't think get hyped up enough or promote enough. And you just hit on, on one. There shouldn't be anything embarrassing about having fun. Literally, right. just, just having fun watching a game and, yeah, having a beer, having a popcorn. You, you don't necessarily need to be watching and glued to every single ball. You can have a chat. You can be social. That was one of the things that, again, when I first discovered cricket, I thought was wonderful. And it, it wasn't really articulated well enough about, yeah, you're there for seven hours at a test match day. But you look around you and... There's beer snakes being created, and yeah. there's people who are asleep and bored. Yeah. Uh, there, there are people who are, like, on the edge of their seat for everyone, but not everybody is. And some people bring a newspaper. Some people will read a book. I mean, in the Women's World Cup back in 2017, the 50 World Cup, there was a hubbub about Mithili Raj, the Indian batter and captain at the time, who, before she would go into bat, she'd have a novel in her hand. She'd be sitting on the boundary reading a book. And that was her way to decompress and release some of the, the tension and stress and just take a step back. And, you know, I'm not going to be focused on every single ball because it's just too intense and stressful. I'm going to read a book. I've been a cricket manager. I'm sure you saw when you were at some of the matches, you were at... There's people out there reading a newspaper, reading a book. They're not really paying attention to everything. There's so many things you can do at a cricket match to experience cricket that don't necessarily have to do 
with the cricket itself. Mm-hmm. And and you just brought up a couple. Of them. Now, one of the other things you mentioned again, promoting women's cricket and girls' cricket, cricket specifically, which is your role. And you also touched on earlier, you said you're obsessed with the Australian women's team. Just after your experience in Australia, they went on to win the T20 Women's World Cup. And there are so many great role models in women's sports in America that people can look up to, whether it's Serena Williams in tennis. You can think of, I think, Sue Bird and however many you can you can come up with a zillion Elena Deladonna and, and players in the WNBA, Tamika Catchings and all the legends, Rebecca Lobo from UConn basketball and Tennessee basketball and all that in, in those le- le- dynasties. But there are equally some tremendous role models in women's cricket. Now, they're not as visible in the USA just because of the stature of the USA women's program at the moment and where they are in the global rankings and they haven't made it to a World Cup. But you've got role models in women's cricket in Australia specifically. What about the Australian women's team specifically, whether as, as a team or individual players or characters in particular, drew you to them and made you such a hardcore fan of the Australia women's team? Yeah, their personalities are like just epically fun. I love when they put the microphone on them, you know, during parts of the game. And if you put that microphone on Alyssa Healy, I guarantee you, you're just going to be cracking up the whole entire time. She has the most fun and is, it seems like she's not serious about it, but she totally is. And um, that's what I I love about her. She's just giggling the whole time. And I mean, I probably could list all of the women on the Australian team, but I definitely latched on to Elise Perry specifically for fast bowling. But she's also like, I think the only female to play soccer and cricket on a national level for Australia. So she's just like the bomb. Like She's a super freak athlete. She's just she, a, one of a kind. Yeah. So I was, I, I cried when she like tore her hamstring um, during the one game and couldn't play anymore. I was just like, oh. But yeah, Meg Lanning, Megan uh, Shooter, no, they call her Shooter, Shoot, yeah, just all of them, like Nicola Carey, I just, Nicola Carey, like, she doesn't want to smile, but then when she does smile, you're just like, oh, this is the best feeling in the world, Um, yeah, no, I could go on and on, they just, they have this, like, way about them, too, where they know that they're so good, but yet they're not flaunting it, and they just want to play and be the best, and yeah. I just can't stop watching them. You ran through a whole <laughs> battery of names there. And one of the ones that stands out, Elise Perry, phenomenal two-sport athlete, double international in terms of playing for Australia women's soccer and Australia women's cricket. When I see her, I think there could be hundreds, if not thousands, of Elise Perrys just kind of lurking underneath the surface and in the radar in the USA. Now, you mentioned earlier you thought softball would be a good sport that could be tapped into to recruit players. Are there any other avenues you think would be excellent paths to recruit and convert athletes, talented athletes into cricket and point to what's going on in Australia as a resource? Yeah. I mean, I haven't given that a lot of thought, but I would say probably like lacrosse because I actually didn't know what lacrosse was for the majority of my life because we don't play that in Arizona. (laughs) So I went to high school and I think I came out here and I was like, what's the lacrosse team? That takes a lot of skill and a lot of patience and like precision. And I, there's probably, I don't think there's a lot of outlets for those um, players as well. So 
to be double athletes for lacrosse and cricket. I mean, it just kind of sounds good together too. When you say there's not a lot of outlets, you mean in the sense that once you graduate college, there's no professional pathway. Right. Yeah. At least to my, to my knowledge. And like, just in terms of like, if you want another option and you want something else to play, I just think that cricket could be a pretty good thing um, to tap into there. Any sport that's oversaturated, there's going to be so many players who are so good, but don't get seen. And I'll bring this back to my brother. Like my brother is an excellent baseball player, hardworking, has been playing since he was like six years old or five, however, you know, young that he could catch. He's smaller. He's like a Derek Jeter and he doesn't always get taken seriously. He really has to make a splash, but he's a very talented player and has continued to play throughout like his whole entire life. Similarly, I'm sure there's other athletes out there, baseball players, softball players, soccer players, anyone who's like on a team sport who is a really good player, but that's getting overlooked. Like, let's just take them on to our side. Don't see why not. Just a quick aside about your brother. In, in uh, 2018, playing for Adelaide in the Australian Baseball League, he actually won the batting title, batted 366 in 28 games in the Australian Baseball League, and he batted 332 for the Independent League St. Paul. I don't know if – is it the St. Paul Saints, or is it a different St. Paul that he was playing for? I think it was the Saints. Don't quote well, me on that. <laughs> one of the famous teams in independent baseball. Batted 332 for the St. Paul Saints in 54 games in 2020. And most recently, he's been signed to the Arizona Diamondbacks AA affiliate in Amarillo, Texas. And at the time of recording, batting 303 with two home runs and 11 RBIs in nine games. As, as somebody who has spent quite a significant time in the minor league, he's definitely got skills. Mm-hmm. And he's somebody who, again, there's so many examples of players like your brother flooding the minor leagues who right. potentially could offer something, whether whether it's in cricket, male, female, whether it's softball, other sports, you you brought it up. It's a, it's a fantastic point. Baseball is one of the weirdest sports where there, you get drafted and then you might just like end up on a farm team somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, whereas like football, you get drafted and you're on the professional team. Like baseball is crazy the affiliated teams and how to get up to the mlb is just insane but crossing my fingers for my brother he he deserves it he really does what would you say is the number one thing you're hoping to achieve in your role as a usa cricket volunteer women's coordinator definitely participation down in southern california because there's not a lot i think I'm actually playing in the women's interregionals in San Jose, and I think we had nine girls that were both Seattle and Orange County area, so not a lot. Yeah, so I think it's just growing participation, awareness, engagement, excitement. Like, I just can't wait until I have more people to talk about and fangirl and just watch World Cups together. I want to do it. I want watch parties and I want little girls aspiring to be Elise Perry or aspiring to be me. Why not? <laughs> Next, Emily Reynolds. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Now you, you mentioned it before. You said you're in your 30s. You mind me asking how old you are? I'm 31. 31. So, and this is, I'm assuming this is going to be your very first competitive match. Yes, I've played in one match prior and I was the only female on it. I did not get to bat and I only bowled two overs. So yeah, this will be my first foray into competitive cricket. 
My point is, though, 31, you're never too old to start playing cricket is the point. Getting involved in the interregionals, I think, is fantastic. There's a story of Erica Rendler, who was a podcast guest on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, and she only discovered cricket at age 29, very similar to yourself, in Australia. Took a family trip to Australia, discovered Anybody? cricket at age 29, and not nine months later... She was playing in the USA national team, and she's been in the national team for a decade now, only discovered cricket at the age of 29. So there's no reason why there should be an age limit or a cap in terms of being introduced to the game. There's been an awful lot of chat and an awful lot of focus about you need to get young girls, you need to get school-age girls. But Eric Rendler is a prime example of somebody who she played NCAA Division One field hockey at Cal. She was a California Bear at Cal Berkeley. And almost a decade after her final competitive match with the field hockey team. She discovers cricket, picks it up, and before too long, she's in the national team. So there's really no reason why every effort shouldn't be made to cast the net as far and wide as possible, whether it's with yourself, Emily, or anybody else, any of your friends or any anybody else come in contact with. Everybody's welcome. We're going to do some beach cricket, get everyone to learn the rules, and then we'll play some hardball. <laughs> What's the number one thing you're looking forward to about your first match in the intra-regionals, especially considering it's the first match where you're going to be playing in a full female team? Oh, I think I'm more nervous than excited right now. Well, Erica is my captain, so I'm really excited to get to know her a little bit better. And then I'm just excited to be on an actual field or pitch. or I don't even know the correct terminology still, like when to use what, not sure. Yeah, I just, I think like it's going to be a surreal experience for me. I am very nervous. I already, my heart's already pounding right now, but I think it's going to be a really great, just, I've been waiting for this moment since January, 2020. So during lockdown, I was like, no matter what, I'm going to learn how to play. Like I need to do it. Um, And so now my dream is coming true. So that's, I'm just excited to play and to learn more and to get to know these girls who are 13 plus. So I could be tw- I could be someone's mother at this point. <laughs> Learning the game, playing the game, whether it's as a teenager, young girl, or as an adult. Again, I, I learned the game at age 20. I, I had to start learning from scratch as an adult. What to you has been the most challenging part of learning cricket technically from scratch? And what has been the most fun part for you about learning cricket from scratch? Well, I think I said this, I am obsessed with bowling, medium, fast paced bowler here. I think like just the load up and everything about (laughs) running up and bowling is my favorite technical part. Like my coaches are like, you're tired. I can tell you're tired. I'm like, no, I am not tired. I'm going to keep bowling. Please let me. I think in general, just like knowing that I can do it, that I've like accomplished what I that I was going to, that I'm still engaged and obsessed with it, and that I have people behind me that are like really rooting me on, is what's keeping me going. All right, time for the favorite 11, Emily. 11 questions, we'll try and do them rapid fire. You ready to rock and roll? <laughs> ready. All right, you said you live in Newport Beach. One of my favorite shows back in the day was The O.C. Who is your favorite character in The O.C.? I don't know. I never watched it. (laughs) What is your favorite part of Newport Beach? Are there any famous locations that are used for films or recording TV shows that you come across that you enjoy being in Newport Beach for? You know, this is going to sound boring, but the neighborhood that I live in is my favorite part. I know a lot of the neighbors because I walk my dog three times a day. So I think I'm a neighborhood favorite around here. And that's my favorite part. Your favorite part of being on a 14-hour flight to or from Australia? (laughs) I 
could tell you an honest answer, uh, which was downing three glasses of wine so that I could sleep the whole time. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's, that's why the beverage cart is there. Take mm-hmm. care of the passengers. Favorite place you lived in, in Pennsylvania, Arizona, California, or somewhere else? Definitely here in Newport Beach. I don't count any of the other places I lived as cool or exciting. Favorite cricket ground experience you've had? SCG. In Moore Park, wonderful part of Sydney. Right right next to the Fox Studios, the Fox Movie Studios. Everybody who, who hasn't been there, you go to the SCG and right over the, the, the background is the, the Fox Tower for Fox Australia, where they film a lot of movies. Your favorite place to eat out on the road when you're away from home, whether it's a chain or anything else, where's your go-to place to eat? Starbucks. <laughs> I'm personally a Dunkin' Donuts person. I won't take it. I won't yeah. take it personally if, yeah, if you like Starbucks, but I'm a DD guy. Are you a Coke or a Pepsi person? Coke. Coke all the way. Can't be the real thing. Good answer. Your favorite cricketer? It's so hard, but I'm gonna have to say Elise Perry with like Alyssa Healy and Meg Laning like right on the toes. Your favorite non-cricket athlete of all time, any sport. I'm going to go with Maria Sharapova. Your favorite pizza topping? Mushrooms. Your favorite movie of all time? Anything with Judy Garland. So like Wizard of Oz, Meet Me in St. Louis, Easter Parade. Pretty top of the list. I have a lot of others, but we're not going to go into that. Final question. Your favorite show to binge watch on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Hulu, Paramount+, Plus, any streaming service. What's your go-to that you can sit for hours at a time? Downton Abbey. <laughs> or Alias or Castle Bones. I've been watching the Durrells in Corfu, uh, The Crown. Like, I'm a TV person. You so. like the British options there, The Crown. I do like the British options. Emily Reynolds, Favorite 11. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'll give you the final word. Is there anything else that you think people should know about you or what you hope to accomplish being involved in cricket in America? No, I think, I mean, if you knew too much about me, you'd have more opinions. So I don't need to share them. But um, please watch some cricket on YouTube or Instagram or, yeah, just just do it. It's Nike. Just do it. <laughs> awesome. Emily Reynolds, thank you for coming on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I know I say this from time to time about people I come across in American cricket. It's definitely true in the case of Emily Reynolds. We need another 10,000 Emily Reynolds in Southern California, across the rest of the state of California, across the rest of America, if cricket is going to get going in the right direction and significantly growing to the size that everyone hopes and dreams it can be. She has just got so much enthusiasm, so much energy, so much passion for cricket. She is somebody that I feel is going to be a very, very significant contributor to the growth of cricket, not just in the near future, but in the long term. She's here for the long haul. I want to wish everybody a very happy and a very safe 4th of July weekend. I know it's been a difficult year plus for a lot of people out there in America and in the rest of the world, but this is something to look forward to this weekend, to go out and celebrate, have fun, have a barbecue, have some hot dogs and hamburgers, have some fireworks, just enjoy the great summer weather and take a few moments just to sit back and appreciate how great of a country America is and the wonderful opportunities it provides for so many, not just in general, but in particular in the American cricket community. That's it for today's show. I'm Peter Dalpena. once again reminding everybody, God bless America and God bless American cricket.